Absolutely. I love how Pastor Jared launched us into this mini-series last week. Phenomenal sermon on doubt. If you didn't catch it, go back, listen to that. But this series is called Taboo. Based on this game, many of you have this game. We have this game, right? Where you've got to get your partner to guess a word, but there's a lot of closely associated words you're not allowed to say. And if you say one of the words on the list, right, taboo. That's taboo. You're not supposed to say that. You're not supposed to talk about that. And unfortunately, a lot of people approach Christianity in that way. There's things you're not supposed to say, not supposed to talk about. Doubt. Disappointment with God. Death. And shame. Uh Uh-uh. Nope. No, no. Don't say that. Don't talk about that. But at Redemption Chapel, our habit is that we don't duck the hard stuff. So... Here we go. We're going to be talking today about disappointment with God, which I know none of you have. Just about me this morning, okay? Just roll with me, if you will. But Disappointment with God, why? Because this world hurts a lot. This world hurts a lot. I, my brother one time told me that the only kind of concrete that doesn't crack, do you know this, is new concrete. Because eventually it all cracks. That's why they cut grooves in it when they pour the concrete, to give the cracks somewhere to go. The only kind of concrete that doesn't crack is new concrete. That is true for life. Like, the new job is awesome. All right? The new boss is awesome. The new teacher, the new coach, the new friend, the new boyfriend, the new girlfriend, all awesome. The new church. Hey, some of you are new to us. Welcome. It's new concrete, isn't it? It'll crack, right? Like the new church is awesome. What about the newborn? New is in the name. Newborn child, but I'll tell you what, those things crack quick, don't they? They come out screaming and pooping and you realize, because what we hoped for this, we dreamed for it, we prepared, we nested, and boom, that thing is cracked. I, I remember when I first heard that you're never supposed to shake a baby, which of course is when babies get short, horrible, damages the kid, they deal with it their whole life. It's a terrible, terrible, terrible thing. And I thought, what kind of monster would shake a baby? And then we had one. (laughs) Right? I kid you not. Like it's 3 a.m. And only by the grace of God, I'm serious. And all of a sudden I understood. Now I didn't do it by the grace of God. Thank you, Jesus. But I understood why people would shake a baby. And by the way, that's the easy part. Then they grow up and become teenagers. And you have to shake them daily or it doesn't work. They're broken. Otherwise, like you got to shake those things, right? Listen, we love our kids and we are proud of our kids. But let's be honest, parenthood is full of disappointment. Oh, you're not supposed to say that, right? No, the reality is parenthood is not a fairy tale. It's just not. And there's other, many other disappointments. The death of a loved one. That's such a big one, it gets its own sermon next week. We won't even touch it. Addiction and people in your life that have addiction. Singlehood, for some of you, is a huge disappointment with God. Joblessness. Some of you have experienced racism and oppression. Huge disappointment. There's abuse and trauma, many different forms. It's disappointment. It's cracking. And, and then there's disabilities and disease and chronic pain and illness, like, like say, COVID. We're in a pandemic right now. Don't worry, 14 days will flatten the curve. <laughs> Two years later, right? Like, it, you know what? It's almost as if the world is cracked. 
Like the world is broken. And I didn't even touch on marriage. (laughs) Betrayal and divorce, those are the biggies, right? But then just normal marriage, like we have the phrase, the honeymoon phase, which means it's new concrete. That's, That's what that means, it's new concrete. In fact, the very first married couple on the face of the planet, it cracked for them in three chapters. Three chapters is all it took. The way it went down is it said that Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. Everybody's naked because it's the honeymoon. Right? It's naked time, right? And then, and then sin entered in that quick. And in that moment, all of a sudden, they're covering up and they're hiding and they're blaming each other. Like God says, hey, Adam, where'd you get the fruit, man? And he said, that woman you gave me. Kid you not, verbatim, that's in the scripture. That woman you gave me. Now, if you read it closely, it said that Adam, when Eve ate, Adam was right there with her. He was complicit in his silence. But instead of taking responsibility before God for his part, he says, that woman you gave me. Now, don't miss something. That woman you gave me. The disappointment's not with Eve. The disappointment's with God. All of our disappointment is ultimately a disappointment aimed at God. He could do something. He should do something. I'm ticked. I'm frustrated. I'm disappointed. Don't you say that. God is good all the time and all the time. Amen, brother. But I'm hurt. I'm frustrated. I'm ticked. I'm disappointed. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus, right? So here's what we need to do. The very first thing I think we need to do is get real. We need to get real. The Bible is real. It puts disappointment on display just three chapters in. And then throughout the scriptures, you have lament. Now this word, lament, means to wail or to moan, cry, sob, to offer a complaint. It can be a noun or a verb. The scripture's full of laments. (laughs) There's a book called Lamentations. It's in your Old Testament. It's five poems just bewailing the fall of Jerusalem. That's all it is. And then you go to the Psalms, right? 150 songs in the Old Testament. 64 of them are laments. Now remember, that's their hymn book. Like as they gathered as a congregation, those are the songs they would be singing laments together to God. My point is that you need a version of Christianity that includes that. Because the Bible includes that. We've got to get real with God. Listen, you're not fooling him. Like when you're disappointed with God, he's the omniscient one. You think he doesn't know? And Shannon and I learned very early on in our marriage a principle that when you are frustrated with each other, you do not get to choose whether or not to communicate. You think you choose. No, you only choose how. And if it's healing, it's all you choose, right? Are you okay? Fine. What's wrong? Nothing. Use communicating, are you? Like you're putting out there. It's just not healthy. It's not healing. And so it is with God. You think he doesn't know? And he says, child, how are you doing? You say, fine. What if you were to actually communicate with God and share your lament with him in a way that might be healthy and healing for you? And we not only need to get real with God, we need to get real with others and let others be real with us. So that when they share their lament with us and we say, hey, you know, when God closes a door, he opens a window. 
right? I, that's my throat punch noise, right? Like, we got to allow, not to just throw cliches at each other, to, but to be able to sit with each other in the lament. Listen, Job, a lot of you are, don't know a ton about the scriptures, but you probably heard of Job and all the crap that happened to him. Talk about disappointment in life, right? And lament. Job was surrounded by friends and they were awesome until they started to speak. Not kidding. And when you sit with your friend in the lament, it's great ministry. It's a ministry of presence. And then we start spitting cliches. We have to be real. We got to get real, okay? The second thing we have to do is get the true treasure. Now, we're going to look at a couple of passages in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. And here's the first one. It's out of chapter 4, starting in verse 7. It says this. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. What if I, your pastor, told you the goal today is to get you to carry around the death of Jesus in your body? That wouldn't sell a lot, would it? There it is. Again, here's the Apostle Paul getting real. The Bible is being very real, saying afflicted in every way, right to the edge, right within a whisker of destruction. There's no health and wealth for Paul. There's no name it, claim it. There's no really good, like that's the way it is. He keeps getting knocked down. Do you feel that? Do you feel like in life sometimes you just keep getting knocked down? Now, if Paul's goal was a cushy, easy life, that's going to be a big, big problem. But Paul's goal was to get the true treasure. See, what affliction does oftentimes in our lives, it breaks our grip on fool's gold. Fake treasure. It looks like treasure. We think it's treasure. It's not treasure. It's worthless. These are idols in our life. And so when I make an idol out of my kids and affliction hits my kids, all of a sudden I know I freak out. Why? Because I got an idol. And affliction has a way of doing that. So it causes Paul, in the midst of all this despair and disappointment, he clings to what he calls the true treasure. You see it at the beginning. He says, we have this true treasure in jars of clay. Now, if you go into chapter 4 there and go to verse verse 6, you'll see what he talks about is the treasure is defined as the light of Jesus. Jesus, he is the light. That's the true treasure. But what it says about us is we are jars of clay. That means earthen vessels. We're like these fragile, chipped, cracked earthen pots. We're not the treasure. And so with each chip and with each crack in our jar, all that does is allow the light of Jesus to shine through all the more. That's not a problem. Now granted, we have so many cracks, sometimes we're like, I have no idea how I'm keeping this jar together. You're not. Look, the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And so he's holding this together. And in the meantime, like the light is just spilling out because that is the true treasure. The affliction and disappointment in our lives breaks our grip on fool's gold and makes us look at the true treasure. 
And you need that, and here's why. Life will hurt a lot. And Jesus never said he would get you around the hurt. He will take you through the hurt. And you need the true treasure. So if you are being knocked down, you look to the true treasure, Jesus, and you rely on his power to help you stand back up. Because remember, you don't lose when you get knocked down. You lose when you fail to get back up. And so you let him lift you back up. And then you let his light shine through the cracks in your life. Why? Because there's somebody else that will be going through a struggle very similar to yours. In your story of persevering through the hard stuff, grasping on to the true treasure might be what gets them through their hard story. We've got to get the true treasure. All right, so we're going to get real. We're going to get the true treasure and then get perspective. For that, we'll continue in 2 Corinthians 4. We're just a couple verses later. Continuing in verse 16, it says this. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not at the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Do you feel like you're wasting away sometimes? All this affliction? The Bible's real. It's real. Now, some pastors get a huge following on TV by saying things like this. If you give your life to Jesus, he will make everything better. And that's true. You just have to die first. They don't tell you that part. <laughs> they leave that part out, right? In the meantime, you'll have suffering. And Jesus will get you through the suffering, but not around the suffering. And then at the end, he's going to come back for us, take us home to glory, and that's where paradise is. That's when everything gets better. And it's going to be so awesome. It's far beyond all comparison. So much so that Paul would call what he's going through. Remember, persecution and being beaten and imprisoned and flogged. He calls that light momentary affliction compared to the eternal weight of glory. It's beautiful. Now, some of this is, of course, about expectations. If I expect this world to be painful and broken and cracked, I'm going to be okay. But when I expect eternal paradise in this transient, temporal, broken, fallen world, that's where a lot of the pain and disappointment comes from. So we got to set our expectations that this place is cracked and fix our hope on eternity. That's perspective. That's perspective. Unfortunately, a lot of us have a contract view of God, of religion. It was like this. God is this great vending machine in the sky. And what I do is I put my religious dollar... Well, it never takes it, and then you get it right in fly. Okay, then I put my religious dollar in, and I pull the lever, and I expect God to provide for me some temporal bliss in this fallen world, right? So I, I pray, I read my Bible, I give a church, I serve, I fell it, whatever it is, I put my religion in, and God's supposed to give me what I want. The problem is that doesn't work. That's not biblical, 
And if pretty, pretty soon there's cracks and people get disappointed because the contract view doesn't work and that's when they stop coming to church because it didn't work. That's not the way it goes. The Bible is too real for that. And what it says is this, listen, write it down, this cracked world is going to suck. Period. That's truth. The questions are these. Are you going to get the true treasure that will help you get through it? And then are, therefore will you have a savior who will then take you out of it to bliss someday? That's what remains for us. I need you to get some perspective. And then next, having gotten perspective, I want you to get strong. Get strong. We'll stay in 2 Corinthians, but we're going to jet ahead to chapter 12. Starting in verse 7, it says this. So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, stop there, I'll explain that in a bit. Okay, we'll come back to that. But anyway, he says this, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. So here you have the Apostle Paul. He goes to God repeatedly asking him for healing from this thorn in the flesh. Scholars debated. We don't know if that's figurative or literal, but it obviously caused him so much significant distress that this is his regular prayer request before God. Remember this. God used the Apostle Paul to do physical healings on many other people. Paul knows God can pull this off. This is on the low shelf for God, and God says no. He asks him for it repeatedly. Listen, this is the Apostle Paul having a no answer in prayer from God. That's biblical prayer. Maybe that feels like your prayer life. That's biblical. That's okay. It's right there. But there's purpose in this. And it's on display there. Number one was humility. So this is the revelations. Before this, Paul talked about how he had some freaky, weird, unique. God took him to heaven and gave him this revelation. Now, if you're a preacher, that's like gold. That's like your ticket right there. Like, you can brag on that, and you're the stuff. So God gives him a thorn to keep him humble. To go, no, you're not. You're not the stuff. And then, so there's humility, and then he gives it to Paul so that he can learn that God's grace is sufficient. That in the process of our afflictions, we become addicted to the grace of God. Not to our strength, and not to our comfort. And then thirdly, we learn that the power, the power of God is perfected in our weakness. And so instead of trying to avoid my weakness, I embrace my weakness because when I'm weak, then I'm dependent upon God. That's true strength right there. So God has purpose in Paul's pain. God has purpose in our pain. 
Listen, parents, is your aim to give your children 100% of a cushy life by giving them absolutely everything they ask for? You're raising felons, okay? Pains in our butt, so stop it, right? So that's not it. Instead, as parents, we intentionally at times let our children experience pain and difficulty so that they can develop and grow. If you've got that figured out, do you think maybe the omniscient one figured that one out? And we're his kids. He's developing us sometimes through difficulty. So sure, absolutely, ask God for what you want. Paul did repeatedly. He kept going to God. God, please. That's okay. But then you've got a choice. After that, am I going to whine and obsess and get bitter? Or I can get busy growing strong. Get strong. Paul, what he had to do is he had to let go of what he thought God should do in order to receive what God is presently doing. Do you get that? Like instead of saying, how can I get God to give me what I want? What if we asked, what is it that God wants to give me? Because though Paul didn't get what he wanted, God was giving to Paul at that very moment. And Paul decided to receive from God and maybe we need to get strong. And so what if God's goal is not to give you what you want, but to to make you strong? Not worldly strength, but godly strength where we're connected to him, we have the true treasure, we're dependent on him, we're addicted to grace because when you are weak, then you are strong. Phillips Brooks has a great quote on this. Look at this, he says, do not pray for easy lives. Oh, crap. There weren't, there weren't my whole prayer life, right? Look at this. Do not pray, pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger men. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your tasks. Then the doing of your work shall be no miracle, but you shall be the miracle. Oh, that's brilliant. It's brilliant. I want you to get strong. And then lastly, what I want you to do is to get a big, big God. For this, we're going to go back to talking about Job. Remember, Job's life stunk. It was hard. And the Bible puts it right on display. The Bible is real about it. Now, throughout 37 chapters, God is really patient with Job. But you get to the Chapter 37, Job starts to actually find fault with God, accuse God, blame God. And that's a threshold that we can't cross. And so what happens in chapter 38 is God blows the whistle, calls times out and says, okay, that is enough. And now I'm going to share with you some of my favorite scriptures and I hope I can get through it. Starting in Job 38, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Just imagine what that looked like. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. It's not in the text, but can you hear Job gulp? And so what God does is he starts to throw some rhetorical and sarcastic questions at Job. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. 
Who determines its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid the cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? And God goes on like that for two chapters, asking questions just like that to Job, showing God's amazing glory and power in his created order, asking Job question after question for two chapters. And then you get to the beginning of verse, or chapter 40. And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. And Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once. I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. That's Job saying, crap, I think I stepped in it. Yeah, you did, buddy. And here's what God says. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, this will sound familiar, right? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you might be in the right? Have you an arm like God and can you thunder with a voice like his? Oh, and he keeps going on for another two chapters. God is saying, I ain't done yet. Two more chapters of the awe and glory of God in creation. Listen, God is totally okay when you openly share your disappointment with him. I said get real. Absolutely. Share it with God. But let us never cross the threshold where we blame God and accuse God. Because God is the one who gave us a beautiful world and we cracked it. We screwed it up. And therefore he died on a cross to rescue us out of it. He is not at fault. We can't cross that threshold. He is all powerful, all wise, all knowing, all loving. He is infinite and he has really big plans. Both for you and for the universe. And sometimes we don't understand the plans. Listen, God is like the ultimate chess master. Remember Bobby Fisher, 12 steps ahead, 12 moves ahead? Okay, God's working like 12 trillion steps ahead, and there's some dimensions that we don't even know about. Listen, sometimes we don't understand some of the moves he makes on the chessboard. And listen, if you can totally understand every move that God makes on that chessboard, because that's what we expect, right? We expect him to explain himself, and I want to understand. If you can understand every move God makes on that chessboard, I don't want to be too offensive, but listen, that means God's mind is as small as yours, and I'm not going to worship him. Right? Like, that's not a God worthy of my worship if you can understand everything he does. He's way beyond us. And God will do everything he needs to do to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in your life. And sometimes that means giving you what you want, and sometimes that means not giving you what you want. But his aim is to give us the greatest thing in the universe, God himself. And he is designing a story for your life of highs and lows that will draw you into the presence of the greatest good, and that is God, the true treasure where we become addicted to his grace and his power. I want you to get a really, really big God. And so your homework this week, I want you to read chapters 38 through 42 of Job. Behold your God. Get a big God.
So here's the plan. Nope, that's not it. There's the plan. There's the plan. Now, uh, I'm going to be straight with you. I come about this message honestly. Uh, this works. And I know it because life has hurt for me a lot. I come from a uh, very broken, dysfunctional family life growing up. I'm not in a pastor's office or a counselor's office right now. I'm speaking to several hundred people, and this goes on the internet. So I'm not going to be very specific. Except my dad's dead, so I'll talk about him. Uh, So my dad was a very distant, messed up dude. Uh, And there's a lot of father wound in my life, admittedly. Probably didn't understand all of it growing up, but uh, he did eventually uh, have an affair and divorce my mom. Shannon and I were young married, I think our first year of marriage, um, when that, that came out. He later got cancer, passed away. Now, uh, his new wife asked me to do the funeral, and as a son, I thought, absolutely, I'd be glad to do it. What I didn't know is I was actually in the process of being disinherited. Found that out later. Wish I'd charged her for the funeral. Wish I had that one back, but oh well, there it is. Gives you just a little sniff. Uh, Shannon and I had three miscarriages. A lot of heartbreak right there. I've done three decades of ministry. I won't go into details because I don't have time, but just, it's completely worth it, but it hurts a lot at times. It hurts a lot. Um, Worth it, worth it. We raised two teenagers. Now, Shannon and I were pretty convinced we were good parents until our kids became teenagers. (laughs) Um... And we weren't so sure. Uh, I've been, with his permission, I've told you some of my son's journey that uh, during high school, he not only did drugs, but he sold them to your kids. So, um, great. He's now walking with Jesus. Praise God for that. But uh, my daughter, Madison, you know, in uh, high school, she started to have seizures. Well, she had them growing up, but they got worse and had seizures. We put her on some medication that augmented some of the things already going on in her life, and she became uh, actively suicidal. Um, It was a very dark season in our life. It was actually during that time, uh, listen, marriage is hard, okay? That woman you gave me, I use that phrase a lot. I get in trouble every time, both with Shannon and with God, but nonetheless, uh, I think it's funny. One of us agrees, not both of us, but anyway, uh, when Madison was actively suicidal, Shannon was almost 24 hours a day in her room until uh, Shannon started having kidney stones at that time, took her, got a scan done, there's a mass on her pancreas. Uh, He told us she likely has pancreatic cancer, that's not one you survive. It was a false read, and she's fine. But uh, at the time, I didn't know it. And so at the moment, I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. It, it's likely, we didn't think we were going to get Madison through it. We thought she'd eventually succeed and take her life. So uh, it's likely my daughter's going to die. My wife is definitely going to die, and I'm going to be left with the boy. Some of you know to laugh at that. <laughs> and uh, it's a hard time. I remember sitting with the elders sharing with them what's going on in my life, just weeping and weeping and saying this, my God is still good. He's a great God. And I don't always get it. I don't always know what he's doing. But he's a big, big God and he's a great God. I can tell you this stuff is real. Uh, And I'll tell you this as well. As a shepherd of this congregation, 
I feel the burden in your lives. Like, I know there's a lot of pain, and I'm sorry. The trail of pain throughout our congregation right now is wide and deep, and I'm talking about your lives, and I know it hurts, and I'm so, so sorry. But I want you to be real. I want you to get the true treasure. I want you to get perspective. I want you to get strong, and I want you to have a big, big God. So do me this. Go ahead right now. Bow your heads, if you will. Close your eyes. Bow your heads. Let's go into a time of silent prayer before the Lord. And what I want you to do with your heads bowed right now, I want you to put your hands, both of them right out in front of you, palms up. And in that posture, I want you to be going before the Lord with the pain and the hurt and the disappointment. I want you to get real with God. I want you to lament before God right now and share with him your pain. Now, as you stay in that place of lament and prayer, I want you to notice your palms are up, your hands are open. What we're not doing is clutching. We're not holding on to our expectation of what we think God should do. Our hands are open so that we might receive from him. And I want you to right now Go to your great big God, receive the true treasure and ask him what, not what he, you want him to do, but what is he doing? What is he giving you? How is his grace sufficient for him? Seek him on that right now with open hands. Father, if we're honest before you, life hurts and it hurts a lot. It's tough and it's difficult. And I know the pain of my people and I share it with them. And life is difficult and we come to you honest. We come to you asking that you would just rush into our lives. I know you won't always give us what we want. Would you give us yourself? The greatest good in the universe, you would give us you. Walk with us through it. Take us home someday. We look forward to going home to you and bliss would start then and we look forward to it. You're a great God. You're a good God. We worship you and love you and we pray in Christ's name, amen.